Hi, if you're a fan of Nonprofit Lowdown, you might be interested in my weekly free newsletter where I send out weekly inspiration for fundraising, notices about any upcoming events that I'm doing, and a cute dog picture. So check it out at riawong.com, R-A-G-A-W-O-N-G.com. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. So today I'm talking about a hot topic that everyone wants to know about, diversifying your board. Today my guests are Andy Rathman-Noonan and Maya Awe. Andy is the president of the National Science and Technology Metals Foundation, and Maya is the senior director of InSTEM. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, this is going to be fun. Before we just jump into the deep end on this particular topic, Andy, what does the organization do? The National Science and Technology Metals Foundation is a 501c3 public charity located in Washington, D.C. Its mission is to build a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable STEM community. That mission was newly adopted by the board unanimously in 2020. And so the key flagship program of that mission is the InSTEM program, which Maya here is the senior director of. InSTEM is a four-year mentorship program that keys in on a, the intervention point at undergrad in an effort to retain diverse talent from underrepresented groups in STEM majors. It's focused, the program itself is focused on holistic wellness, power skill development, et cetera. I won't talk too much because I would, I'm sure Maya has some th- thoughts on what the program is. But in general, that's what we do and that's who we are and that's our identity. The other, the sort of secondary part of our organization is we were, when we originally founded in 1990, it was around celebrating the work and lives of the laureates of the National Medal of Science and National Medal of Technology and Innovation. Those are presidential medals given out by the President of the United States. We'd love to see it happen every year, but as you can guess, uh, the presidential schedule is quite unpredictable. In the time where the last medals laureates were honored in 2016, we ourselves have changed dramatically. And in 2020, of course, we adopted the mission and launched a program in STEM that allowed us to redefine who we were in terms of our positive impact on the STEM community. Maya, I'd love to talk to you because you are a woman of color in STEM. I'm just wondering, how did this mission resonate with your personal experience? I remember when I was coming on to the organization, one of the things that I spoke with Andy about is that the mission of the organization very much embodies what I naturally do. And so I'm very big on education. I'm very big on being an advocate for groups that may not be able to advocate for themselves at whatever time. So I'm very big on advocating for groups um, and making sure that people have what they need to succeed. And so having gone through some of these lived experiences that some of the students that we serve have been through, I am able to identify what it is that our students need to be successful. Since you've transitioned the mission, how did you look at that through the lens of who was serving on your board? We as an organization are firm believers that in everything that we do, we are working towards making STEM equitable and what equity means in the context of making sure that all people are welcome and empowered to be successful in STEM. And so when I think about, when we thought about that from a sort of holistic view of the organization to be perfectly critical, like our board was uh, quite homogenous in 2016. When I joined 10 years ago, every single board member except for one was a white male, older white male. And that was after a significant reorg when we went from 22 board members to six board members. So in 2016, when we realized maybe that the 
laureates of the Medal of Science and Medal of Tech weren't going to be announced anytime soon. We had to ask some really tough questions about who we were as an organization when that was our primary mission. And what we realized through a set of listening sessions called An Evening With, which has now been rebranded to the Unscripted series, we took laureates and other STEM leaders to undergraduate campuses and got a lot of feedback that the undergraduate experience was falling short of their expectations, especially if it was a student from an underrepresented group studying STEM. As an organization, we had to make sure that in everything we did at the board level, at the organization level, was representative of those core components of equity and representative of the diversity and inclusion we sought to create um, within the community. So we went out and started to think about, okay, let's recruit a board that can be representative of the diversity of this country, both from a viewpoint, a background, experience, and let's go out and build that board in the likeness of what our organization's mission talks about. I think the maybe inherent tension that a lot of people might think is we can either have a board that has capacity or we can have a board that is diverse, but we can't have both. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Is that actually a tension or is that an imaginary tension that we make up in order to maybe not do as much work as we can to diversify? I would say that it takes time to have both. You can absolutely have both. That's not a thing. You can have both. I think where the problem comes in is what the definition of diversity for an organization is. And a lot of times people will solely focus on the racial and gender diversity, but there are different facets that we can use to define diversity. People may use diversity as like a crux and like a checkbox. We want to make sure that we have a diverse board and okay, we'll have one woman of color check that check the box and we'll keep it moving. However, that is very disrespectful to those diverse candidates because they do have much more to offer. And it takes one looking past just the initial, like the physical or the category that this person checks and looking more into what is it that this person can bring because they have lots to offer. They have connections. They know the things. They have experiences that can be beneficial. And then figuring out how to use that within your organization. You can have both. It takes time to identify these people that are able to both help you build your capacity and also help expand diversity within the organization. When you say it takes time, can you walk us through the specific steps? Because 2016 to 2023 today, your board looks very different. You have uh, much more representation, both in terms of race and gender and other things that are not obviously visible from your website. For folks listening, and they're like, Andy, Mayowa, I'm down for it. But what does it take? When you say it takes time, what does that look like? What's, what are the first steps that we can take here? There's practicing intentionality in terms of who you go out and recruit and defining sort of the ideal profile of the board member you want to recruit. And also, again, to Mayowa's point, like this is not a checking the box exercise. This is about recruiting a potential board member from a back, an ideal candidate background that you've defined. And I'll go into how we defined it in, in just a second, but then it's also building re that relationship with that board member, understanding before you even talk about them and join the board, understanding their interest level, understanding where they are most excited about from a potential of the mission of the organization to what they're more, they have more reluctance or aren't as well versed in terms of a skill set, and really building that relationship going forward. One, relationship building is a good exercise. It's worth doing, regardless of whether it ends with some a, a possible candidate for the board, relationship building is an effective exercise and effective use of your time. Number two, going in before you do the recruitment process, I think it's important to do an audit of your board, meaning build a matrix, 
define your columns as the categorical needs of the organization, legal, accounting, development, fundraising, program management. Those are just to name a few. And then put your board members on the left-hand side and then start to really do some analysis of what can each board member do? What kind of skill sets do they have both in terms of their corporate experience or organizational experience where they might be working currently, as well as their experience maybe on other boards and nonprofits, and just in general, your interactions with them in terms of their skill sets around specific your, your specific categorical needs. And from there, you're going to be able to get a really good understanding of where your gaps are in terms of skill or skill set. And that will help actually build that ideal profile for who you want to recruit next. Now, in terms of recruiting with this concept, this really important concept of diversity, equity, inclusion in the forefront, I think it's important. You go out and you identify, look, I, I think we need to build a board that's inclusive. So let's go out and build a board that's inclusive, whatever that looks like. Bring in the stakeholders, bring in your board members. As you start to recruit board members, start to get a list of names, talk to the staff. One of the exercises Mayo and I did was if you wanted to go recruit a board member, who would you go recruit? And then we worked through recruiting that board member. So the prep work is almost as important, which is identifying the gaps in the current board in terms of skill set and ability, building the ideal profile with those gaps in mind. And then again, going out and recruiting the most diverse, best board you can recruit. And being strictly adherent to that goal has helped me tremendously because I don't have to compromise. I can uphold that principle and still work towards that broader goal, that representation, that general representation and the social and moral imperative of being diverse, inclusive and, and equitable, really, in general, in everything that we do. And I will say that as far as timeline, it could take up to a year to get one candidate, right? You have to start that relationship very early and be patient and be okay with the fact that, okay, I may not get this one candidate until a year's time um, because you want them to want to engage with current board members, engage with your programming in some way. You need to make sure that this candidate is very well informed of what their roles and responsibilities will be, what your organization is about, and whether they feel like the culture of your board is something that they are comfortable with. That's really helpful. And I couldn't agree more that you have to approach this with intentionality. My question, and either of you can answer this as well, is around the change management aspect. Because if your board is, as I say, pale and male, and you're making this very significant pivot to a new mission, uh, a new sort of focus area. How do you manage that? Because obviously as well, these are folks that you want to continue to have a relationship if you can, who have been important to the organization, who may also have contributed to the capacity and the resources. So like what, what does that look like in a way that is as elegant as it can be? Part of it is one having those very intentional, very sometimes uncomfortable conversations with those male and pale type members of your board. And I think something that's also very helpful is having some type of training so that there's that common language that we can all go from to one, understand the importance of this initiative, what it really means, and how those members of the group may be able to contribute to it. It's having those conversations and also having trainings. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that I learned quickly and the hard way was when we really started to go out and say, let's build a board that we can be proud of and that serves our mission is the change management. I had a very short-term view of let's go build that board and then how that board helps impact the organization will be defined by how effectively we as an organization can deliver a program or deliver the instant program for that matter. And I think that was nearsighted of me. And, and that's something that I think 
it didn't make us take steps backwards, but it did put a little bit more pressure on the programmatic delivery that I realized going forward that that didn't necessarily have as much impact in terms of the board level culture in the way that was intended. I think the training is really helpful. The onboarding process and the sort of clarity and transparency of the needs of the organization in those conversations is really important. And to have that conversation early on is really good. I think one thing that's interesting about our organization is that because we adopted a new mission in 2020, there's a number of board members who joined the board prior to 2020 that are pretty familiar with who we were. And then there's a number of board members who have joined after 2020 that are more familiar with who we are now and melding what could be very different organizations. That is also a change process that has taken longer than I think I anticipated, but it's worthy of continuing to make steps towards the board fully buying into it, as well as all understanding the common language through a really uh, substantive onboarding process that could help make sure everyone's at, at least at a base level, uh, have a really good understanding of our DEI values and what we're trying to do as an organization from a mission perspective. What would you have done differently? Because I know folks are listening to this. I'm in this process. I want to know what are the things I should be aware of? Yeah, I think two things. One is we didn't have any training for the onboarding process. So implementing training, number one. To Maya's point, I think it's a great one. Number two, don't assume that when you've made the ask to join the board and they've accepted that your relationship building effort with that individual board member is done. That's an ongoing process. And I think that there have been times and missed opportunities where I didn't prioritize the stewardship of each individual board member to get full buy-in at the mission level. And I think that going forward, that attention to each individual board member stewardship, rather than assuming that they understand what's going on, being a bit more intentional in terms of engaging on a one-on-one basis where we're checking in. Where are you on this? How do you feel about this? And what are your thoughts? What are your feedback? And over-communicate in that manner, especially with the new board members. Maya, back to you. So I know you mentioned that you joined uh, the organization in about two, two years and six months, according to LinkedIn, right? And that was at the beginning of this new mission and this new focus. How much of that did you know coming in and how much have you been a part of being the change, as it were? I knew coming in, like part of the process of of bringing me in, it was learning about the history of the organization. And so I knew where the foundation was prior to me joining and I knew where we were going. Now, the program that I was brought on to, to lead, to direct, was very much like the flagship program that would lead us towards that mission. And so I was very integral in making sure that we are essentially walking the walk when it comes to building an equitable and inclusive STEM communities. By touching base with board members at board presentations or board meetings and having presentations where I'm actually showing the impact that we're having, the students that we're able to touch through the work that we're doing, I think that helped board members to be excited about the work that we're doing. It showed them essentially like the tangible realization of all of the hard work that they're putting in as board members. And so I think this program itself and the program is very integral to changing that mind frame and shifting both for new and old or continuing board members, shifting that frame of mind for the foundation. Actually, let me back up here because I realized I just jumped in without enough context. Maya, can you give us a sense of what does your board look like today with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion? So we have people from all over, really all over the nation, as well as the various gender 
identities. We have a good mix of racial identity also within the board. And our board actually has experiences that differ. I would say that each board member has something that they're bringing in. And for example, somebody that's in the education space, somebody that's in the defense space, but something that's adjacent to STEM, STEM education policy type deal. And so that's what the board looks like. And so it's made up of people that are able to speak to these various pieces. I want to talk about sourcing. Can you talk around the strategy of where to find the people and the sourcing and being really intentional about that? So I'm, I don't know, Maya, if you had you know, folks in your network that you were able to connect to, because I'm just thinking about all of the things that folks say, I just don't know where to find these people. We just started with a list. I mean, we did the audit of the board and where we were with skill set gaps and whatnot, uh, or just like needs, foundational needs. And then we started to just build a list, both from previous donors who have given significantly in the past or have been significant um, amplifiers of our content or of our work, friends, people we have relationships with that also have the means or check up or would help fill gaps within the organization. And then also we had the reaches. It's almost, and I hate to reference this because your second higher ed right now with the affirmative action ruling is so out of whack, but it's like your reach school, your good fit school, and your safety school. And what's your reach board member? Who would be the epic person from your perspective, even though you've never met them before, just in terms of on spec, who would be the epic get? And then let's talk about how we could get in contact with this person. Get board members to weigh in. You have a couple names in mind, people that could help deliver on some of the, the needs of the organization. And you build that list. And then from there, it's, so I got my start as a recruiter, as a finance and accounting recruiter. So I have the cold email, cold phone call thing is something that like, I, I have to continue to do. And it's something that I don't really mind. LinkedIn's a really good platform. It's been really effective. I think it's, it's also gotten better, I think, honestly, over the years. It's, it's a really good place to do a, an initial sort of primary vet of someone's background. I mean, get an understanding of where they've been and what they're bringing. And then their LinkedIn message or a warm referral. So if you know someone who knows someone, then make that connection. And that's where it's the starts are. And then from there, you try and start to have a conversation. But it is a numbers game. Make the biggest list you can. Make the biggest list you can and then start to work through and maybe tier and rank those individuals in terms of a set of evaluation standards, whether it's skill set, whether it's ability to get in contact with them, whether it's reach or good fit, and then go forth and try to really see how many people you can get engaged. Because at the end of the day, it serves dual port. There's a number of different purposes. It can serve you in terms of board recruitment, but it can serve you in terms of getting people to get to know your organization. So it's a, again, like I said, it's a, it's an exercise worth doing um, because it'll either lead to po a possible board candidate, but in general, it'll just lead to general awareness about your organization. Now, let's say for me, within my network, I'm in professional organizations. And so within those organizations, there are people that one can reach out to, to for board recruitment. Professional organizations are one, and then people within my personal network are those that I could reach out to. I would also say for us specifically in the type of work that we're doing, working with undergraduate students, looking at those institutions and looking at one alumni from those institutions, because they will be very invested in the work that you're doing to try to help future alumni of their institutions. And so you start there, right? And you look to see who is involved in similar programming at those schools and try to get connections that way. Uh, and that will, one, lead to potential board members who are very much sold into the mission of your organization already. And then you can have further conversations about what else is needed. That's really helpful. 
am I correct in assuming that your board is both personally giving and engaged with fundraising and opening networks and so forth? Yeah, you can. That's a fair assumption for sure. Okay, cool. So one of the things that I'm wondering about is sometimes with verse board members, I think there's perhaps a reluctance to ask them to both give at a certain level of capacity and or open their networks based on the generational wealth gaps. And then I think on top of that, folks of color may not necessarily be as conversant with, you know, capital P philanthropy in the way that we practice it in this country. How are you helping to uh, steward and coach your board members, regardless of their background, into being engaged with fundraising? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that we're working on every day. So in terms of right now, we've expanded what it means, not expanded. We have a very broad definition of what it means to be a, a, an impact, an impactful board member, right? There's sweat equity, there's social media amplification, there's personal contributions, there's door openings to potential leads, there's corporate match campaigns, there's advocacy within their particular organization on behalf of the NSTMF to give small contributions out of your paycheck in terms of corporate giving. And all of those things are valuable. They're across the board, extremely valuable. Program program assessment and management is extremely valuable in terms of our ability to deliver a program that's going to have impact on its key constituencies. Being able to write a personal check, incredibly valuable. Being able to open doors, incredibly valuable. One of the challenges we have as an organization is that our giving periods, pyramids inverted. We have our highest concentration of donors are the five figure and above, and above category. And so we have a much Campaign problems, of, Andy. Love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we, we want to, so what we want to do is make sure one, board members should key in on helping build out that lower part of the pyramid because that's an engine and helping build programs where they feel comfortable in that space. So it's not a five figure, 10 figure, five figure, six figure ask or conversation. It's a three figure, two figure ask. And we use existing programs like Giving Tuesday or setting up another giving day in the calendar year to help create space for there to be a momentum around sort of small gift size ask, not too much lift and really keep that momentum going, the positive momentum behind that. But also like never downplaying the value of non-check related power, right? Like the value of having a board member who is deeply invested in sort of the program delivery of InSTEM or deeply invested in say the social media strategy of the organization, those are also incredibly valuable because they can make a huge difference in terms of what is an in-stem scholar saying about the organization? What are their testimonials look like? What are their surveys look like? And then how does that survey affect your donor's perception of the program? And then on the social media side, for example, is like a validation. Oh, wow, they put out really great content. This strategy is cohesive. I'm seeing it here and here in the manners that I need to see it. And it's sticking to me as a donor or a potential donor for the organization. So I think it's important when it comes to fundraising, being clear on board members can have value in multitudes. Like there's a multiple ways a board member can have value and impact on the organization and really working with each individual board member to identify where their value and impact resides. That is going to be hugely important. And then from the fundraising side, just making space for there to be growth in terms of small, start very small, $50, $100, do a Facebook campaign, do a LinkedIn post. Those are the types of things that we can really start to build upon going forward from a affecting both our giving pyramid, number one, but also just in terms of 
putting board members in a position where they're comfortable and can be successful, which again, will be more broad. I will say when I joined the foundation, I found that strategy was very interesting to me. And I, I think makes sense. Just providing options, providing various options for fundraising. Some things will, that aren't direct checks from that person, will inevitably convert into a direct check from somebody, from a potential donor. And for example, one of the things that I'm very interested in doing for the program, for the STEM program, is somehow publishing, right? Having some type of scientific publication that really shows the impact that the program is having. Now, if a board member is able to assist in maybe that data and analysis portion of um, such a study, that, and, and the paper gets published, that in itself, the fact that it, in a sense, validates the program or, or shows the impact that the program is having will lead to potential donors, one, understanding what this program is doing and then being more confident when it comes to donating for the program. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but it's this idea of just providing this array of options because like you mentioned, some people really do not come from a place where there's generational wealth, but they have something to offer. And as yeah. a foundation, we make important to support people. For example, there have been times that we've sat with board members and said, okay, who do you know? Who do you think that you can reach out to on behalf of this foundation? And we will help in writing this cold email if you don't feel like you have the lingo. So we provide email wording. We provide like one pagers, whatever it is that specific board member needs in order to help us uh, fundraise, we provide. And so I think that really should be something that organizations prioritize is not just, hey, give me a check here and there, but like, how can I support you in doing that? And and maybe you're not in a position to um, provide a direct check, but what are other avenues at, in which you can indirectly result in, in somebody <laughs> giving yeah. us for our goals? And, and I just want to double click on something Andy said about the power of LinkedIn. So using LinkedIn as a tool and a filter, there's literally a little checkbox that says, I would be interested in joining a board when you do the advanced search. But also to your point, Mayowa, about you know, helping board members to understand the constellation of their universe, right? Because I think sometimes it's, who do you know is a hard question. But if you can use LinkedIn to be like, here are the 10 people in your network that I think could be interesting. It gives us a starting place, right? Don't make your board members do the work. You do the work and help them to help you. Since you brought it up, Andy, I want to talk about affirmative action for a second. So I, I imagine that one of the ways in which it's really helpful to have a racially diverse board is that there are folks who have firsthand lived experiences with higher ed and affirmative action. And I'm so just, I guess I'm just wondering from a programmatic standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, like what have the conversations been at the board level relative to your organization and where you sit in this whole conversation? I am both male and pale. So affirmative action was not a program that was eligible to me clearly. But affirmative action is an integral program that the striking down of was an abomination, personally. It also, the ruling itself was astronomically asinine. Um, now, the conversations that are happening at the board level is one, because of our position as an organization, as a nonprofit that works in undergrad, works with undergraduate students, we have a unique perspective on this. We are hearing firsthand what the undergraduate experience is like for students who may have been eligible for affirmative action, as well as the opportunity to convene discussions about the impact of that ruling on, well, in our particular case, the STEM landscape. 
That being said, so the board members are interested in having convening conversations, beginning a series where we're having virtual seminars about it, bringing in authorities that will help provide guidance on how to perhaps maneuver around the ruling. One of the benefits of working as a nonprofit is that when we provide a grant, which is the way the INSTEM program gets this funding, the institution actually serves as a shield against accusations from our perspective of racial preference when it comes to programming options and programming access. So we also have an opportunity to continue the mission that has been sequestered by the ruling, as well as make sure that the thing is that the STEM community will be in a, in a detrimental way, will be negatively affected by this ruling because the STEM community is still a, a small exclusive group of very same looking group of people. And so the gatekeeping that's going on, the who you know, not the what, and the stripping away of what should be a meritocracy is not a meritocracy at all. And I think that's the statement that can be made about our society in general. That's a little bit of a, a bully pulpit. What I would say is the conversations that are going on is that we're one, every board member is, is very well in tune with that ruling. And they're very well in tune with making sure that we are becoming a information source for how to overcome that ruling. And that is something that has become an important component of what we're going to try and do in the fall, as well as going forward, continuing to advocate for equity and inclusion within STEM and continue to advocate for the importance of retaining diverse talent in STEM in undergrad, even though there has been legislation and policy making it much harder to do. I would say, at least personally, it's more of a, it's fuel to continue doing what we're doing and to continue to do it harder um, and to find ways to support our students. Um, through this because our students are going to have to maneuver this and we all, it's going to be detrimental, but in what ways and how exactly and to what extent we don't truly know yet. And as things continue to unfold, just making sure that we are at the forefront of these conversations, both keeping in, in touch with the students that we serve as well as whatever is going on politically, we'll continue to have those conversations so that we stay ahead of this. And I firmly believe that as a foundation, we are really uniquely positioned to continue to support our students and essentially be part of the solution to this. Like it, I, in my mind, I'm like, move it to the side. We'll continue doing what we're doing. Um, yeah. And because we're a nonprofit, I think like we're protected in some way um, to do that. So it just makes our work much more uh, crucial. If there is a silver lining to this horrible cloud is, um, I once heard someone say like, never let a good crisis pass. Like, it's important to have work that our board members feel very connected to, committed to in front of them. And so, look, this is a horrible thing, horrible ruling, wish it didn't happen. And maybe the silver lining here is it really has fired up the board to be engaged in a really important issue. And the other thing that I just really want to underscore here is regardless of what you're doing with your board, engage them in really interesting questions, engage them in important issues, right? Because so often I think we come to the board and we're like, Here's the report, blah, 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 like rubber stamp it, see you in a quarter, right? But how can we really galvanize and use them as the resources that they are in the organization? It seems to me that when you are recruiting diverse board members, there needs to be more intentionality around how you bring them together. I was associated with one board and they were basically, it was a very homogenous board. They all hung out together. They all went to the same golf club together. They all went to the same parties together. So it, it felt like when you got into the board meeting, there was that social cohesion already. 
I'm wondering if you could speak about some intentional things that you've done in order to build the relationship between board members, especially board members that may not in their normal day-to-day lives have the opportunity to be in, in community together. It's something we're still working so I don't have all the answers and I don't think anyone expected me to or any for that matter. But I think let's not downplay the effect that COVID had and the ability to, to, to gather in person with a board that spread across the country. Zoom meetings and Zoom burnout were very real and adding one more meeting to a, a, an agenda or a schedule of an already busy board meeting board member to meet with another board member wasn't going to happen. Now that we seem to be in a space where gathering in person is safer now, what I the conversations I've been having with board members is like, Autonomy, take agency, feel free, contact that individual. You want to get coffee with a fellow board member, by all means, go do it and send us the receipt. Like it's opening up the doors again of this interaction can happen between board members and there doesn't have to be a surrogate. One of the things that the way that the organization was run prior to about 2021 was the quarterly board meetings were an hour. They were hyper-efficient. They went, there was an assumption that there was a, that, that board members all read the, the sort of briefing packet. And then there was a, a run through of the business of the board. Highly efficient is great. I think that the board was looking for more of a, let's brainstorm, let's interact, let's create some dynamic deliverables, let's let's come up with some new ideas. And I think what we're working on in terms of change management there is one, our board meetings are no longer an hour. They're about an hour and a half now. There's a lot of discussion time that's blocked off. And then going forward, there's been a continued sort of advocacy for Please reach out to a board member if you have a specific question. The thing I've always said to board members over the last few weeks about this is my ideal is that you all meet together independent of me. I don't know about it. And you come back to me with a set of questions about the organization, about the programming, about the fundraising needs, because it shows that you have all gotten together and started maybe working or talking about the problem. Maybe you're offering some different perspectives. That is like an ideal outcome in terms of like the tactics there. And again, this is something that we're doing right now. And I, it seems to have paid off a little bit in the short term, but that's what we're employing right now in terms of, of trying to get that cohesion there, because we don't have that cohesion at the board right now for a lot of contributing factors, but we'd like to get there. In board meetings, we'll notice at times they're super passionate about whatever one topic is. And so we say, okay, let's set a meeting up so that you two or you three can talk about this. And it may be people that don't interact outside of the board meeting. And so we help them convene these meetings. And then in those meetings, we have... Andy and Maya do not have to be in the meetings. And so making that initial touch point with board members after noticing what it is that they're super passionate about within the meetings has been very helpful. Um, And I also want to hone in on that in-person gathering. And it doesn't have to be like in-person board meetings, right? It could be opportunities where board members are able to engage with our programming. For example, next week, we have an in-STEM summit in D.C. that we're Um, hosting. And so inviting board members to interact with each other as well as interact with the students in our program in really just a very casual manner can help with that cohesion and allow them to really just be authentic. This is not a formal board meeting. Let's all go out after maybe in the evening and play bowling, for example. And so putting them in situations that are very casual can help board members that may not connect outside of board meetings or may not connect themselves to get to know each other. I think really creating that container for that social cohesion is so important because at the end of the day, we can look at the research around belonging in teams, but if people don't know or trust each other, it's going to be very hard for them to work together. Last thoughts here, zooming out, is there anything that we haven't yet covered that you think is imperative for folks as they think about diversifying their board? Be aspirational in terms of the board. Set 
the aspirational goal of what you want the board to look like in terms of representation, in terms of diversity, in terms of skill set, and go for that. And I, it's going to get frustrating, but it's a worthy exercise because of the 25, 30 outreach points you, you make, LinkedIn, e-cold email, introductions, et cetera, you're going to get a relationship out of at least one of them. Whether that leads to a board member is one thing or another, but really the, the most important thing is there's a relationship there that you've now built. Relationship building is a muscle, but set the standard of expectation and be aspirational in terms of your board. It sounds super cliche, but go find superstars. You've got a great mission. You've got a great program. Go find the superstars that are going to be the board that you believe is going to affect the most change from a positive position. I think that is something that is, is extremely important that I would say, I say over and over again to myself, it's don't compromise. Yeah. Just go out, go out and recruit the best board you can possibly recruit and continue that conversation. Wait, on that note, and Mayo, I, I want you to have the last word here, but I've recently become very obsessed with 10x is easier than 2x by Dan Sullivan. And so now everything I'm doing, I'm putting through the lens of, is this a 10x activity or is this a 2x activity? Is this a 10x board member or is this a 2x board member, right? And so if you're constantly using that as a filter, you'll make decisions based on a future that you are aspiring to versus the future that you inherited by accident. I um, would also say to get current board members involved in the conversation. As far as it comes to diversifying your board, you do really need the people that are there currently. Um, you need their buy-in. Um, you need to all come to a common understanding of what is needed, where are the holes, where are the gaps. And in and, and this conversation of diversity and inclusion within a board has to be at the core. And so how do we define these terms, right? as an organization? And how are we holding ourselves accountable? What are the metrics that we're using to make sure that we are on track? And in addition to that, just really understanding, like we mentioned at the beginning, that it takes time. And so give yourself grace, right? It could take a year, like I mentioned, to get that one person that you are aspiring to have on your board. But definitely be gracious to oneself and get your current board members involved in the process. Thank you, Maya. Absolutely. I say it all the time. It took me like six years to finally get the board that I wanted. So it is a slow process of, as they say, loving them out the door and bringing in the new people that you want. So friends, this has been really great. Thank you so much for your, your advice, your expertise, your experience. We'll make sure to put your information in the show notes if folks want to get in touch with you. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving this a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share with a friend. So, Andy, Mayola, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much.